Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to season eight of Inside Insights. I'm your host, Ryan Barry, and I am joined today for just a brief moment by nobody. Um, we have made a change to the show um, that will have us bidding farewell to our amazing co-host of the last four seasons, Patricia Montestioca. Patricia has a super amazing opportunity and big job at Aldor as their chief growth officer. And, um, and I'm actually going to be doing some additional content outside of the podcast. So more to come there soon. And so just decided it was a good time to sort of single source the hosting and give us an opportunity to produce more content um, that, that can help all of you uh, be more impactful in your jobs, be more customer centric, elevate your game. Um, I just wanted to take a brief moment to uh, show some love to Patricia. Patricia is a personal friend. Um, she's a mentor to me. I think I'm a mentor to her. We've we've been through a lot together uh, personally, professionally, and I think we've had a lot of fun and hopefully created a lot of value for all of you um, in the last several seasons of Inside Insights. So Patricia, I, I love you dearly and I thank you for everything. Um, th the podcast is uh, going to keep going and it's going to keep getting better. In season eight, we have some amazing guests lined up. I'm so excited to talk to all of them. Uh, and to bring you uh, the value that we promised when we first started this eight seasons ago, to give you tangible tips and tools that you can bring to your job the next day to help you improve, to give you some inspiration, and to help you elevate your game. Our first guest this season um, is somebody who I had the chance to get to know re relatively recently and is quickly becoming one of my favorite people. Um, she always challenges my thinking. She's a really good sparring partner. Um, she's a great advocate for the customer. She's a great advocate for the insights industry. And she's working at one of the most fascinating companies, in my opinion, in the world that is also doing uh, incredible performance in terms of growth. Bianca Johnston is today's first guest. What a great way to start season eight. Um, Bianca is the integrated campaigns lead for Shopify. If you aren't following her on LinkedIn, what are you waiting for? She's spitting gold every single day. And our conversation is nothing short of exactly what I was hoping to share with you. We talk about everything from being bold, from creating pull in your organization for customer centricity to how insights should be used throughout the process of making ads and campaigns that drive sales and growth for your company. Um, and uh, we had a lot of fun in the process. I hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks everybody. All right. Hi, everybody. I'm very excited to have our first episode of the season. Um, Bianca, you don't know this about me, but I'm going to tell you this publicly now. I asked our customer success team, who's badass that I should know? And everybody who works on Shopify account was like, you got to know Bianca. So then I stopped what I was doing. I added you on LinkedIn. And in about three seconds, I was like, oh, I know what they mean. So the origin story is the account team that you have at Zappy help me find you. And I'm so glad they did because we've had a bunch of fun chats since then. We really have. And I love that. I did not know that. And uh, they're awesome too. So that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Big up Zappy account team. We appreciate you. So everybody, we are going to start with something real. Um, how many calls have we had to bail respectively on each other this year? Oh, probably about three, I think. About three. Yeah. Uh, this is uh, a shout out to all of you moms and dads out there. So uh, as we have this podcast recording, Two of my three kids are home ill and both of Bianca's kids are home ill. So if we get started this episode, yeah, 100% yeah, of your kids, 66% yeah. of mine. And, you know, this episode could get weird. Maybe we both get sick during it. We're going to try our best. We will try not to, but no promises. <laughs> so at least for those of you in North America, it's been a gnarly virus season um, and we see you. We are here despite <laughs> of it. So um, I'm very excited for this episode uh, for, for a variety of reasons. I, I think like the fact that 
you're a research practitioner and are working in a marketing organization and are evangelizing and making research accessible, like we need more people like you. So I, on behalf of everybody, I just want to say thank you for that. Um, keep preaching, my friend. I, I really, really appreciate what you do. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I am. There's no no end in sight to this preaching. So don't worry about okay, that. Good. Okay, good. All right. So I want to start. I want to jump right in. You work in a marketing department now, correct? How do you make market research, which is not a sexy word, consumer insights, which is a sexy word, uh, but sometimes a bit of bullshit because not everything can be an insight. How do you make this accessible, relevant, and in demand inside a marketing department? And, and I ask you because I think you're doing something that a lot of folks aren't, which is actually driving from a marketing org. And from a lot of the market orientation I've done, there is a healthy percentage of marketing orgs that want to use research to cover their ass or validate a decision they've already made, which is not consumer learning. So how do you, how do you do that? Yeah. I mean, yeah. So for a little bit of background on me, like I started my career agency side marketing found mm. like, you know, learned a lot. It was very scrappy, kind of learned all about the biz, but found it was very fluffy <laughs> and there was a lot of bullshit. And so that's what drew me to research is like, I wanted the concrete, the why I wanted to understand uh, consumer more and have that concrete data. So then I spent probably 10 years in research and then um, most made my way over to Shopify, started in their research org, and then from there jumped over to marketing. So I was basically supporting an offline marketing team from a research standpoint and then jumped over that way to the marketing side. So I kind of had this unique vantage point of being sort of semi-embedded on the team I work on now as a researcher and then coming over and being a marketer. So I kind of had this unique position of seeing both sides of it. Mm. And so now coming over to the marketing side and I'm sort of like a creative strategist. I work with mostly performance marketers. We're in a growth org, so it's all very much performance metrics, yep. but my job is sort of um, deciding on the creative that we put into market and creating some integration across the channels. And so there's a huge opportunity for research there. And having come from the team that basically supported this exact function, I just had that unique, it was a little bit lucky that I had that unique position to just be like, um, I know exactly what I need and I know where to find it. But as I would start to write briefs and I, you know, still was really close with the research team and knew kind of could still go dig into tables as I needed to, I realized nobody else on the marketing, A, knows half this stuff exists. B, if they did, would know how to like read these tables or read these, you know, or like dig deep into these reports and where to find them. So the point is like, I kind of had this unique vantage point of seeing both sides and then knowing the, the basically inputs into my work. Like if I have to create a, a campaign, my input is the brief and that sort of uses the research team's outputs. So then it became about how do we change the research team's outputs to be Take them further than just a 60 page report. Maybe it's, you know, audience one pagers or like, here's a marketing kit. Here's a messaging framework. And um, it really becomes about researchers sort of thinking more like marketers. And the only way in sort of bridging that gap, especially on those sort of outputs and documents that you put out as a researcher. So the only way to do that is really understand what the marketer needs. And that's why I love that semi-embedded model and then vice versa. Oh. Okay, this is fascinating. So what I didn't know about you is you started in marketing. So so you're just a you're you're actually a customer centric marketer. Um, thank you. I if you added up the years, I've been oh. a researcher more than a marketer. Have you? So, yeah, yeah. Kind of a couple years and then quickly was like, uh, research is my thing. And then kind of as I did many years of research, wanted to sort of pull back the curtain again and be like, okay, what's the next step? How do we action this? So I've had this that makes sense. 
or jump back and forth, but I really, that's kind of my whole shtick on LinkedIn now is like being the bridge of, of those two functions and telling each one, understand what the other craft does and it'll make your craft so much stronger. Yeah. And, and that's, that's like, I think it's a really important thing because there's a misunderstanding that seems to exist. So let's start, let's start with something tangible you just said. So making insights more accessible. Yeah. Let's break that down simply. Let, let me, and I'll give you, if you don't mind, I will give a little ramble. Okay. I was telling Bianca this before we hit record. I posted something about the difference between data and insights and how we need to connect learnings. We need to connect better with the business. And I had a lot of people very vulnerably reach out to me and be like, arguably a little defensive, right? Like marketing doesn't want it. The company's not customer centric. And, and I would say 80% of my instinct is like, you got to show them, not tell them. But I also get the tension, right? So can you break down a few examples of show me, not tell me and how you actually go about making, let's just use a few examples, a user test, a post-launch test, a copy test. How do you make this more accessible to drive action within the business? Yeah, I'll use an example of um, like a big old meaty brand health study, like a market landscape. I had said oh, one joy. of those. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's got all these markets. It's got, it's this huge deck because it's got like multiple segments, the whole thing. You take them through that in a, in a presentation. Maybe it's a couple of presentations. Maybe it's a couple of decks. It's so much information. You need to distill it to what are they trying to do with this? So like almost break it down into the tasks. Like what do you, you know, go back to those first research and business objectives. Why did we set this up? We're overhauling our um, messaging framework. That's what we need this for. So when you break up that key drivers analysis into like, you know, here are the messages and the value props that resonate most. Um, it partner with that marketing stakeholder and say, let's do this together. You know, you're going to lead the effort on like what this framework is going to look like. I'm your data person because I know this research inside out. And I also know all the other research in our insights hub to connect the dots and all the other data sources. So, um, and so you think about those outputs and yeah, that, that 80 page deck or whatever has to be um, like an artifact for the business perhaps, but then like you break it down and then you get more runway from your research. You break it down into like a one pager. That's like this, these are the salient points you need to know for your messaging framework. And um, this is the like audience source of truth. Like these are specific examples of stuff we've been working on. Cause we've been right. like overhauling a lot of that stuff. And so um, I like to do like release mini reports. Yeah, let's, yeah this what you're talking about here is really codifying a lot of data in like bite-sized chunks to give them an orientation of. And let's be honest, Shopify is a, is a wonderful business, but it's a complex business. You've got the B2C side, the B2B side, all these different merchants. Your market's complex, right? Yeah, totally. It's huge. And I, I I don't know, like perhaps researchers think like, well, that, that output's done. You know, it's like, we think very like linearly in a project, like it's proposal, questionnaire, you know, analysis, presentation, presentations locked and done, you know, send your follow-ups, that project's done. It's like, well, why don't you use that data for, you could get 10 different outputs from that. And, um, you know, we do like, I don't know if this is relevant everywhere, but in, in tech, like everything's done on videos. You share a five minute TLDR, we call it. You sh share a little video on our internal workplace newsfeed. And it's about, you almost have to be a little bit of a content creator and pushing those narratives and pushing them more often. So it's about frequency of getting that message out. It's about the different outputs you get from one piece of research. And then that sort of answers the speed thing, because then a marketer isn't waiting for you know, well, the once a year we do our brand health or the quarterly report, it's like throughout the quarter, you're still getting more mini reports or outputs for lack of a better word out there to them um, to meet the different needs of what they're trying to achieve. 
it's it's really interesting. And I think this, there is a tech bias of like video. And I don't understand it. Like, so at, at Zappy, we have a head of BI and I always joke with him. Uh, I'm secretly introverted. He's not secretly introverted. And we engage in each other a lot. He'll send me a Loom video and be like, I thought you should see this. Last one was like, we suck at monetizing innovation. And I was like, ooh, why? And then he, we iterated like that. And um, I, I think there's something really accessible about async communication. Yeah. Um, but I think there's something you say about that I think a lot of people, I'm hoping really grip onto this, this master servant thing. No one, I bet nobody asked you to do that. You were like, oh, the best way to engage with these folks is bite size, TLDRs, constant. And I think there's like this weird chasm of like, I wait for the brief. I complain about the brief. I do the research. I deliver the research. Yeah, we, yeah totally. We can keep doing that if we want. Um, and then all of our talent are going to leave research. <laughs> but, yeah. And um, there's, there's a desire to not want to overstep and sort of stay in your lane. And I admit this is very like, you know, I work in a company where we don't have those defined lanes and you can good go point. There, you know so I, I this might not be relevant to everyone but I still think you could other like companies and people can learn from this experience and I think it becomes at the if the organization isn't going to allow for it structurally it happens from the ground up at in a relationship people to people level because everyone just wants to at the end of the day we're all trying to create the best work so if you yeah, exactly partner up as a researcher partner up with your marketing stakeholder and the way to do that is you know, yeah, go over and above, like make them look good, share extra value. And it just becomes this compounding loop of impact. Then they'll come ping you more often for questions. And then you eventually become more in, in a partnership rather than this kind of master servant um, dynamic. Yeah, that's right. I mean, because like to me, the job, particularly the job of like an insights person is to be the shepherd of what we know and what mm -hmm. culture is. And, and to your point, if institutionally, that's not acceptable. Mm -hmm human to human it's like yeah. hey did you think about this did you yeah. see this did you read i mean let's yeah. think about that we all do that with our colleagues like i mean how many times today i've sent an article to a person i work with it's no different right like yeah hey, yeah exactly oh. and uh, not to put all the blame on the marketers either with this marketer servant dynamic like often researchers i've been on a lot of teams and honestly i was like this too we kind of wanted to stay safe behind the curtain behind the numbers and not make the big call um, and so I worked really hard on sort of developing a point of view and understanding, you know, what my marketing stakeholders were thinking about dealing with doing to, you know, researchers always have this thing of like, you sent the report and did you hear it in the abyss? Like, did, did anything come back? You know, like, does anyone care? And so the way to do that is to engage with those counterparts and be like, how did you use this? Like we used to joke doing a survey about the survey maybe just a conversation's better, but under getting that feedback on like, how did you use this? And will, yeah. um, you know, how can we improve upon this and just building that relationship to make, to make the work better and, and getting out from behind the curtain and having a POV. And the more you understand what, what your marketing team is doing, the more as a researcher, you can have that impact. I think you're right though. Like, and we get to, I want to come on to some of the, the boldness of your journey on personal branding, because you've had to leave your comfort zone. And I, I think one of the things I want to talk about next is like understanding what marketing needs um, but the more value you bring, the more you're going to get invited into that room. Yeah. So I guess let's flip this conversation since you're the translator of the two <laughs> worlds. So marketers are running hard. They're running fast. You're in a growth company. I know what that's like. I'm in a growth company, which means, folks, if it doesn't make money, we're not talking about it and we need to do everything fast. So give us a glimpse into your team that you sit on. What are the things that people are actually needing? 
wanting more of, wanting less of, like, and, and you can redact Shopify if you want, but I'd love, like, let's dispel this. Cause a lot of what you hear is insights is too slow, too librarian, or marketers don't know how to write briefs and they don't know what they want. And they only want me to test ads <laughs> as, as an example. <laughs> okay. So I sit on a team of all performance marketers. So they're mainly doing the media buys. And then I had a mini team of me's for different channels. So right now there's two of us. There used to be four and stuff like that. Currently, um, there's two of us doing this type of role, one for digital, one for offline. That's me. And the role is um, basically telling all our performance marketers, our channel leads, what to put into market. We we design, we figure out what the creative should be. Um, and so... Our and, and that creative comes from the agency in your world, right? Or how, who actually creates all, um, I I work with an agency on the offline side, but internal okay. stuff is all an internal um, marketing team. Got it. So so like in my world, you're you're like the content team working with the demand gen team, essentially, who's then yeah. responsible for campaign management. Yeah. And all, okay, that makes sense. Exactly. And our channel leads, like they will approve and have input in that creative, but really they're kind of like, like they're very strategic in that sense, but they have all this other stuff. They're doing all the numbers, all the performance, all the media buying. That's the main bulk of their thing. So they, that's why they kind of separated that role into having somebody to figure out the creative too. So they're sort of like a like a nice counterpart and they will be a stakeholder in this creative, but really it's me. So when you're like, that's why I kind of have like the two brains of it. Like I'm the person- that's fascinating. Who, I'm both the stakeholder and the sort of like researcher, which is my dream job. So yeah, so- Anyway, so your question was like, what are they trying to solve? What are they trying to think? All our channels are very, we're stood up on their own. They're, we're very like decentralized silo. Which is very, very uh, standard in tech, right? Like for those of you listening who work in CPG or QSR orgs, you're probably tied to a line of business, but you're really under a regional PL. Every tech company is oriented by product line. Yeah. That's exactly. how it works. Yeah. And, and our marketing channels are all sort of like quite decentralized as well because that's solving for speed. But right. the thing it doesn't solve for is integration of messaging across those channels. So that's sort of what I'm trying to do. And so we have different levels of like, depending on the channel, um, access to those insights or knowledge and awareness of insights and customer centricity and stuff like that. So I'm trying to bring that across all the channels. And I'm trying to answer like really some foundational questions of like, here's one audience like source of truth based on all this research from all these different sources. Here wow. are the big rocks of pillars that we should be talking about. Because how it happens now is it's it's very product led. It's very, because we're a product org and um, you know, here are the new releases, here's what we're doing. And we have a generally good sense of our customers, but I'm like, I'm, I'm asking the question now to the business, what if, what if it could be, you know, we could 25% better in terms of optimizing this creative. And so what if we could hit more of an emotional connection? What would that do? And so um, that's what I'm trying to do is, and that's why like we have a great partnership with Zappi and try ex excited to kind of expand that work this year. Um, and so that comes from like big foundational research and ad testing and then the cumulative effect of both. Yeah. It's, okay. So I want to, I want to, I want to ask you about something. Cause I think like the channel, the channel, um, I guess spread is fascinating to me because a lot of research is predicated on linear TV campaigns and now everything's omnichannel. So you have all the performance data, which is sort of synonymous with we're product led, right? Like we're going to look at telemetry. We're going to look at behavioral data. You're bringing in market orientation and primary data. So I guess, how do you think of connecting those two things in your world? Because like, I, it strikes me that the 
the performance team, their love language is engagement, clicks, leads, revenue. Yep. But you're, what, what I'm hearing you say is I also want to build our brand and be more consistent with our distinctive brand assets, which we all know will lead, help to more sustained growth. Yeah. Um, yeah, how are you using those two muscles? It's fascinating to me. Yeah, we are. Even in our offline channels, we're very performance or dri performance driven. We look at performance metrics and we just see numbers and conversion rates, right. but nobody ever knows why. Oh, but why did that ad do well? Because when you're A-B testing a couple of ads, video ads on YouTube, there are so many variables exactly uh, as to what, why something worked and why something didn't. And then people go and make a conclusion. Well, this one worked because it had, you know, humor, but maybe it was just the actor or the music or something else. Right. So we can't, right. so that's why, um, that's how we bring together the performance data and the research. The performance data is the what, what result did this have? The research tells us the why. I like what you're saying. So you basically use your market orientation and your research Mm -hmm. to bring why to the results that happen. And then is it safe to jump to the conclusion that you then codify that back into your briefs? Of Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I think that's something, and I wanted to switch gears and talk to Bianca about like the process of creative development for a sec, but like as time to live or as cost of production goes down, our, our world's going to change a bit. We're not going to have as much time yeah. And so it's, I think it's okay to see what happens and then research why, even if it's after the fact, because to, to your point, you're launching a bunch of campaigns across a litany of channels, right? Yep. Yep. And that's why, you know, yeah, sometimes we don't have time to test before. Like we've done an early stage test, like at a storyboard or something like that. And then there's no time to retest or we felt confident enough or whatever the reason is, we'll still run it even when it's live because it does give it that's give us that valuable why. Yeah, and then you can sort of say to the agencies, hammer more on humor if that actually is the thing, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so let's bring everybody into a little bit of our uh, rant we were having before we <laughs> hit uh, We were talking about, uh, well, I'll be honest, we were talking about the Super Bowl and how most of the ads are going to be uh, not that good. And just because you can reach a lot of people doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to improve advertising. And uh, Kim on my, on, on my uh, team, one of my colleagues, she did a, a longitudinal analysis of Super Bowl ad effectiveness. And the punchline is it's not improving and it's still average. And I'll, now this is the rant Bianca and I were having that how much of the ads were shot, produced with a fancy celebrity and shipped. Um, the answer is a lot of them and, and not everybody, right? So let's talk about how creative development should work a little bit from your perspective. You have a blank canvas. Like how do you, how should the process actually go knowing the, the dynamics we were just discussing around you? Yeah, the main thing is test early and often. And so the earlier you get in there, the more value you're going to get. Um, so we were talking about that, you know, napkin idea and at the concept yeah. stage, especially if you're choosing between concepts and that will help you do something uh, or potentially do something bolder rather than scrapping that idea off the chart because like somebody's not going to like it at the at the senior level. So start at the very early concept stage, um, test again to optimize at storyboard stage. And then like so much changes, obviously, from a storyboard stage to a rough cut. So do it again at a rough cut stage. And there you're doing final tweaks, making sure nothing's offensive, making sure if there's anything weird about the casting or, you know, or like the music selection or whatever it is that you can right. you can tweak that then. Um, so test early and often is the way. To yeah. And it. I think like I want to I want to double click on the napkin thing. I'll, I'll share a little bit of my story on this. Like I, I spent a lot of time trying to identify what creatives would like with mm -hmm. advertising research, because I think for years it was, we don't trust those creatives. Let's green light them. Let's mm -hmm. red light them. Let's tie bonuses to it. And so there's like this 
I would say quite a bit of like negative energy. Like you go to, I went to con last June and, you know, research is in the corner talking about IPA effectiveness, not like on the main stage, you know? Right. Um, and I remember um, we were interviewing a bunch of uh, creative directors and a lot of them were like, dude, I want to test my ideas that I put on a napkin. That's what was Bianca was talking about. And you think about that, how many creative territories get left yeah. without ever seeing them because of perceived politics. It won't work. We've always done it this way. Uh, and so I, I think particularly in a world where production costs are going to go down, media placement's going to be more accelerated, just spending time on the concept alone would be better than waiting till it's finished, right? So, so it's something that I'm really passionate about, but I do think it's hard for businesses to build in that time and that muscle. Do, why do you think that is? I think there's a perception, um, well, research in general, that it takes long and is is super expensive. And mm. it's not true, especially if we compare the cost of producing an ad that ends up being quite subpar and the media spend on top of that. Yeah. This is the cost of an extra round of research. It's It's nothing. So I think it's a perception and an education thing, really. Yeah. And that's where I think you're your first point about bringing value proactively. Yeah. We've got to do that for all of you in research roles because you got to change the conversation and you got to show people that it's better. And because it's not going to change just automatically. I think, I don't think anybody with any malice intent is, is trying to fuck this up. I, I think that there's genuinely like, yeah, agencies are always rushed and then we get the film and then we scramble and now we can test ads overnight. And so we're going to air still. Great. And it's yeah, yeah, um, exactly. that, that education is huge. Um, all right. So uh, this is this is how uh, I got to know you because I read all your content before um, we got to talk. So you are out there. You're sharing your view. You're educating people. Um and I know this just from talking to you, that wasn't like a, that was an intention you set, but wasn't like naturally you. And so I guess, talk to me a little bit about how you decided like, look, I'm going to start to advocate for being this bridge between insights and marketing and just take us a little bit on that journey. Um, Cause I, I know personal brand has like a whack connotation, but like yours is real and you've got a following. I'm one of your followers. I'm one of your friends. <laughs> Um, but like, yeah, take us on that journey. Just like, and, and I think for those of you who are listening, like I'm never going to post on LinkedIn. This, I think my point of asking Bianca is we all got to leave our comfort zone to make our businesses more customer centric. And so that's what I'm hoping you can infer from Bianca's journey. Yeah, totally. So I'm going to just give a little background. I don't want to give like sort of a stereotype of researchers, but the teams I've worked on, we all fit a similar profile of, you know, a little bit more introverted, really analytical, really like curious and love to go deep into these discussions. And, um, but, you know, didn't love front and center stage. And so, and that's just, I'm like a, I like personal and professional growth. So that was just something I wanted to work on over time and like got really comfortable presenting. And it started by like presenting research because like, I love this stuff. So that was sort of a passion point. So and you like, weren't originally comfortable doing that? No, no. First research presentation, I was just like, ah, who am I to be doing this? Yeah. And just but like anything, you keep doing it. And so that builds confidence. Like I'm a big believer in getting um, out of your comfort zone and doing shit that scares you. It's like where growth happens. So totally. um, that was kind of, <laughs> part of it, um, do shit that scares you. The other part was uh, when I moved, when I left the research team and jumped over to the marketing team, 
I was like, ooh, but I still want to stay connected to research. I want to stay, we used to have like in the before times, before the pandemic uh, with our research team, we'd all eat lunch together and it would be like this bitching invent session, but also we call it solving <laughs> the world's problems. And then we'd be like, and then we should do this and do this. And I missed the lunch table. So I'm fully remote now. And so I just wanted a way to kind of connect with researchers, meet new ones and, and talk about stuff that I like. So that was another reason. And then another is just sort of networking, but in a, in a way that I like and at scale. So, um, you know, I, I had a little calendar reminder in my calendar for months to be like, set up one coffee chat this week. And like, I wouldn't it. wasn't do it. happening. No. And like, well, who, and then what, what am I going to say? And then like, sure. And then I'm like on a screen all day talking to people at work. So it, then just doing that for my sort of networking didn't feel different enough. And sure, I could have met people in person, but everyone's just like, oh, you want to meet in person? That's like so far, I'm going to have to walk everyone in their cushy remote jobs. So, <laughs> so this was kind of a nice way to like network at scale on mass, like one to many. Um, and I like written communication, like I can Slack yeah. and text people all day. Um, and so I just thought, you know, that would be fun too. So those are sort of the reasons why I started. <laughs> and and it you clearly are seeing your snowball amass, right? Like your, your engagement and the conversation. So what's your, like, what's your cadence? Like, how do you go about, how do you go about doing it? Like, I think everybody's got their own approach, but I'll share yeah. mine if you share yours. Like, how do you go about doing it? Yeah. And I think we've talked about this before. Our, our approaches are different. I am a planner and I, um, I thought about posting on LinkedIn a lot for a long time before I actually took the plunge and did it. And then I knew that when I started, I was like, I'm going to, I want to do this for a year. So I want to consistently post for a year and then see where I'm at, see, you know, what the result has been. And so I knew if I was going to start, I had to like have a backlog for my own, like safe, psychological safety <laughs> to keep going. So I, um, I got notion cause I love notion and created like a, a table, a database of post ideas. And I would, didn't like write them all out, but I would just, you know, be out walking and be like, Oh, that, that would be, oh, that's an idea. Yeah. And then that, and then like going through my work day, oh, that would be a good one. So I let them accumulate a little bit. And then, and then you start writing them and you realize, oh, this is actually three ideas. And then that kind of snowballs out. So then I had something that I was like, okay, I can fall back on. I can do something with this. And then I felt, and then I was like, stop like perfecting this little behind the scenes work and just get out there. So I picked a date and I got out there and then, um, and yeah, it's been, it's been about three times a week, sometimes, sometimes two, sometimes four, but usually it averages out three times a week. Um, I take holidays like anyone else because I don't want to burn out. And the number one thing is that this needs to be fun. So if you're posting on LinkedIn and you want to take a week off, do it. Like the earth will not. Yeah, no one's going to yell at you. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's, you're the boss. Yeah. And, um, and it's been amazing. I have met so many people. We've connected. That's I've up. done another podcast. I have met people in person. I said to my husband, I'm going to go meet a stranger from the internet for coffee now. And I came back alive. Um, <laughs> <laughs> One time I saw somebody at an airport and uh, like obviously like our community is pretty small right like yeah, it's yeah. not like anyways and i i speak i post more about insights transformation than SaaS, even though i run a SaaS business but anyway somebody's like dude i know you from linkedin and i was like this is like gotta be a geek award like this is so weird <laughs> <laughs> but kind of cool right <laughs> but kind of cool yeah. but, you know i i think what's what's interesting is like i, I feel like a lot of people particularly in big corporates 
think that by posting on LinkedIn, their job security is at risk. Mm-hmm. And I know this because I see y'all lurking. I see y'all lurking on Bianca's post. I see y'all lurking on my post. I view it differently. Like I view it as a way to connect as you're talking about, to see if your ideas are, other people are feeling them, mm-hmm. uh, but also to build the brand of your department, right? So if you're out there bringing the heat, well, then more people are going to want to come work with you. You're going to be able to recruit more talent. So um, I, I hope that, uh, so my approach, by the way, since I did share it with Bianca a couple months ago, is super random. Um, I started randomly posting on the internet 15 years ago when I had something to say. Uh, and I, to, much to the chagrin of my marketing team, have no consistency, rhyme or reason. So I'm on a bit of a bender at the moment because I'm pissed off about a lot of things. So I've posted way it. more than I should be. But I'll probably it. then not have anything to say at some point and then be busy working. And uh, so be more like Bianca. I'm winging it a little too much. No, I think I think the key is authenticity. Like I sometimes Good wish point. I could be more like that, more spontaneous and more just like go with it. But, I, but my brain is like, no, be cautious, plan a little bit. But that's authentic to me. And whereas like, Correct. you know, a Sunday rant, that's authentic to you. <laughs> you do you. I appreciate it. Well, it's, it's funny. Like it's the same thing with like public speaking advice. Like, mm-hmm. You can read or watch YouTube videos about, you know, tips to speak. Like we're all trying to get better at storytelling. We're all trying to get better at navigating a room or what everybody's executive coach says, executive presence. And the reality is everybody's different. So like, and I think authentic for me, authenticity is like a real thing. Like I don't want to be ghostwritten for, I want, I want to like say what I think, but my approach So like Julio Franco, who's our chief customer officer here, English is his second language. So like there's an extra cognitive load for him there, but he does power poses before he speaks. Nice. Some people write down notes. I just won't talk about stuff I don't know about because then I can go up there and just wing it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I always find it interesting because like you can't really give people advice on that topic simply because it's what's best for you, right? So like I always try to ask these questions on the podcast because like at least people can, someone might see their truth in you and what what you're saying, right? Yeah, yeah. My, yeah. my act there is um, I memorize like the first couple lines because, and then I just know for every slide, know oh, what you want to say, but not how you want to say it, because then you'll stick to your script. But the only time I stick to a script is like the first, first. You're like opener. Yeah. Yeah. Just to like, my warm ups, just so I don't like freeze on that. And then everything else I'm like, that'll flow. Cause I, I know what I want to say. <laughs> Cause you know what you're going to say. Yeah. I guess, do I have any, ha- I get nervous before I public speak. Like, oh, me too. Yeah. Like super nervous. Like I, yeah. I um, and I've done it a bunch of times. I had to, this is actually a crazy story. I had to take a flight to London a couple of weeks ago and I was presenting to like half our company mm-hmm. and I purposely planned to land the day before. Yeah. Of course, this is what happens in uh, January and February in North America. Your kids get sick and your flights get canceled. So that yeah, didn't happen. So I went <laughs> from a red eye to presenting in front of like all of my oh, colleagues. Geez. And I don't know about you, but presenting in front of your colleagues is way more stressful than strangers. Um, cause they can call bullshit, right? They're like, they yeah, know. exactly. You know, it's like, you so can't I'm run away from them after. Anyways. And so my, my hack is when I'm nervous, I'll crack a joke. Um, I'll, nice. I'll engage the, and it helps me like forget that I'm literally freaking out behind the scenes. So I want to talk to you about one more thing. Mm-hmm. Insights people one more time, but with a different slant, a lot of insights organizations are shrinking. A lot of people are looking for different roles. Um, there's a lot of talk of democratization, which I, I personally think if insights people own orientation, democratization is good. I know yeah. why it's hard. Yeah. What's the advice that you have for people 
beyond some of the stuff we've been talking about of like where they can elevate their game to make their careers more relevant. And, and just to couch my ask, I believe customer centric businesses win. And I think the insights people are the key people who understand psychology, consumer behavior, statistics, and data. And I'm terrified that as much as I'm, we've talked a lot about AI and data, I'm terrified of homogenous marketing. I'm terrified of like short-termism. So like give people some advice so that we can avoid that shit because no one wants to live in that world. The first two things that come to mind are very relevant to what we talked about. And For real. Standing, um, you know, the marketing and the, and the stakeholders and exactly what they're trying to solve so that you can make yourself way more relevant and valuable to them. Um, number one. And uh, number two, that's another reason to build your personal brand on LinkedIn. Right? You like opportunities. It's going to, and, and then you're sort of, I mean, I follow this one. LinkedIn is one of the platforms where there's a lot more talking about LinkedIn on LinkedIn. Like there's people about how to do LinkedIn on LinkedIn. Here's how to post yep. on LinkedIn. And so, but um, a lot of those, you know, creators are really valuable. And I follow um, a coach who always talks about being the CEO of your own career. And yeah, unfortunately layoffs are happening. And this is one way to sort of carve out your own space, be your own, don't, you don't have to call it a personal brand. I don't care for the term either, but yeah, I don't love the term either. I, I, love, I like CEO of your own career or whatever you want to call it. And then yeah. you have, you own something and you stand for something. And actually, if you don't know what you stand for, the, the best way to figure it out is writing on LinkedIn. That's it help, helps clarify your thinking. It helps ele elevate your writing, all this stuff. So um, yeah, that, that, that is one of my pieces of advice. Yeah. It, it's funny you say that. Like, I would say half of the things I post on LinkedIn are I have an idea. Mm -hmm. And ironically, the data from my tribe helps me determine if I'm alone, if I'm full yeah. of shit, or if it's really striking a chord. Totally. Uh, yeah. That's really the like, yeah. Yeah. It's a feedback. You'll know is putting it out there, even if it's scary. Yeah. And it, and it can be like, am I going to yeah. sound like an idiot or, you know, uh, Patricia always says, lay the egg, just lay the, lay the egg. And it's like this thing she says to like give herself uh, you know, confidence. So I guess on this topic, since we've covered a lot of it, there's a software takeover, there's a data takeover, an AI takeover, but still a premium for storytelling and thinking. Now you happen to be somebody who's comfortable, you know, strategic storytelling, running a survey on Zappy, running a survey somewhere else. How do you, I guess, help people sense make that? Because I still feel like there's a lot of fear of like, if I use technology to do my job, therefore I won't be strategic. Mm -hmm. Yet every time I meet somebody who's killing it, it's like the exact opposite. But I can I can see where people's trepidation comes from, but maybe make some sense of that for people of yeah, how they I can think, use software to their advantage. I just think that the tech and the software is all about do the things that are uh, tedious and like like free up your time to work on the bigger strategic things. There's no shortage of things to do and the biggest meatiest funniest funnest problems to solve are the are the strategic ones so real um, and that's what the computers and the machines like can't do very well um so use them to your advantage to free up your time to do the the bigger better stuff and the more impactful stuff i i view it the same way i mean it's 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 why when i joined zappy i was like oh if we can make kind of activation research accessible people will have time to do the strategic shit yeah. Um, and I think my only advice on top of what Bianca says is you got to be intentional how you use it because you can't expect the same results that you got out of a consultancy. Not like any's right or wrong. It's just different vehicles to, to get at something. So yeah, totally. Uh, 
Oh my God, we didn't get sick during our conversation. Yay, we did it. <laughs> so folks, thank you for listening. We're going to switch back into parent mode. Uh, I'm going to see if my daughter Blake's all right. Although my wife's been a hero today. She's been cleaning all sorts of gross things around this house. <laughs> yeah, my um, husband's been managing it too. So shout out to our significant others. Now, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's always really fun, fun to talk to you. I'm glad we get to share this with the audience. Thank you for listening, everybody. Thank you, Bianca. Thanks so much, Ryan.